What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning into the Mishmash podcast. Today, my guest is a repeat offender. <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 that's pretty apt, right? That's better than the last one. Uh, my buddy Mike English has returned. It's the return of the mic to discuss to mic. all things music and today a little bit more sports. We, we dived into, uh, you know, the shallow end of the pool there at the end, talking about the hard existence of a Jets fan and a Vikings fan. <laughs> uh, but I, I wanted to talk about um, baseball and the connection to music further down the road. But I figured we would just hit hit the hit the ground running here and jump right into uh, the Beatles. I mean, okay. that's uh, that's the well, they kind of revolutionized the business. So yeah, the Beatles is a great place to start. So we were just talking off the air and in the, the previous episode about vocal harmonies. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. They're in, in some ways like the first pop band and one of the first rock bands. It's not pop rock because it's definitely the, not pop rock. No, the, the yeah. sentimentality is differently mm-hmm. is different. And just the quality of the, the compositions, it's really impressive. Like I've learned a lot about music theory from mm-hmm. studying just some of the songs like yesterday and and some of their you know deeper cuts it's it's amazing what they were able to do in the short time that they were together because it really it did it, it even last ten years uh, yeah um, about ten years that is it and it is amazing because at the beginning we would have termed it bubblegum music that's very just just pop just for almost kids but and that is how they started out the Beatles it was very you know very light everything was upbeat and. And Yellow guess, Submarine. Well, no, no, before that. that I'm talking about the right. very first, you know, first couple albums. It was all ancient sweet kind of. But uh, I think as they grew, you know, the writing for them, <laughs> you're talking about some of the later albums, you know, Rubber Soul and the White Album. I mean, their sound expanded so much. It just, yeah, it, it yeah. was no longer pop. It was, that was definitely rock. Yeah. And- yeah. You know, you look at like paperback writer, eight days a week, hard days night, mm-hmm. all of that. It's that's really when they started to to hit their signature sound and, and mm-hmm. hit their stride. I think yeah. you know, obviously, Hey Jude. To me, Hey Jude and Let It Be are, are like the two big Beatles songs, and there are other ones that people like more. But those are like the anthems. If if you oh, absolutely, think of it that yeah, way. that's yeah. And if, again, being the oddball that I am, there are a lot of Beatles songs that. I would prefer over Let It Be and Hey Jude, but they are the standards. There's no question. And I'm not sure offhand who the specific writer was. I would imagine those were McCartney tunes because they just feel like they have his piano imprint on it. But uh, uh, Most of it really was both McCartney and Lennon for the most part until I, I, as they went further on, you know, uh, George Harrison started writing more. He had a lot of material, as can be Showing, <laughs> he put out a triple album as his first solo work, so he had a lot of music that he couldn't get onto a Beatles record because it, and he's even well, he's no longer with us, but uh, there were interviews where he said that you know they were only letting him have one or maybe two songs an album, and that was a big frustration for him because he was really getting into the writing thing and. I, I can already see the tangents starting to form in my mind. I, I can see the graph and I can see the lines starting to bounce off because it, this may not be the best way to describe it and it might not be a fair accusation to make. But in some ways, I think Lennon and McCartney were the first pair of egos in the, in the same vein as, you know, Glenn and um, and Don Henley from the Eagles, right? Mm. They were They were 
the captains, co-captains of the ship. Absolutely. And they didn't want to share. Right. I, I don't know if, again, I really wasn't into the business thing, if they all shared evenly with that or if they made sure that they kept all the writing credits, which is really where the money was anyway. Be, you know, down the road, you certainly sell them books for a lot more than 20-year-old music. Oh, yeah. So so two things to, to bounce off of from there. First, we were talking about AI briefly in uh, the first discussion. Did you see that McCartney's writing what he's calling the last Beatles song using AI? I did see that. And actually, I've heard or at least seen in print, you know, uh, they asked AI to uh, write a song, a song such, you know, a song like Stairway to Heaven. And that was like, you must be kidding. You're an abject but failure, I'm it, sure. I, the wording was, it didn't make sense, but. Well, so stair- the AI was no better. <laughs> well, st- stairways on my uh, my short list of topics to, to cover down the road. The mm-hmm. the other thing though, because we've discussed comedy at length too, and it's oh. <clears throat> it's funny. I feel like a lot of people who are as into music as we are are also appreciative of comedy, or at least certain comedians. Yeah. I think we're both Carlin fans, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I'm a sucker for almost all kinds of comedy. I mean, slapstick. Uh, oh yeah, you know, vaudeville. I can find humor in most things. Mel Brooks. <laughs> So I don't know if you saw the history of the world part two. Yes, I did. Okay, yes. so they uh, had that whole little Beatles uh, mm-hmm. pastiche, <laughs> which was great. I, I just cracked up with that when you when you talked about them uh, having that tension, the creative tension. I just pictured yeah. that that whole skit, oh, which was so funny. It was indeed. And as long as we're discussing the Beatles, I would be remiss not to bring up the Beach Boys because we kind of hit on this a little bit in our first discussion. In the mid '60s, they had this tremendous. I don't want to call it a rivalry, but uh, Lennon and McCartney were quoted as saying, we listen to what Brian Wilson is doing because we know that's the next step. And Brian Wilson was a big fan of theirs, and he, like, he couldn't wait to hear what they put out because then he would have his next challenge, which really led to a lot of great music. So. Right, and, and it's funny how interconnected everything is, right? Because we talked about Sid Barrett briefly with mm-hmm. um, being, Pink Floyd, right, being the, the yeah. troubled musician, <laughs> and Brian Wilson. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much his struggles with mental illness influenced his creativity. I again, I feel like there has to be some sort of you know hardwiring connection for certain people, right? In terms yeah. of that, I don't want to call it mental illness, but right. but just being wired well, differently it, and then leading isn't to the there a thin line between genius and mental illness like you know. i'm not sure which side of that i'm on <laughs> i feel like i crossed over a long time ago i but i think uh, of it more no. as a tightrope you know and i'm always kind of <laughs> yeah kind of balance yourself but uh, uh yeah brian wilson he only heard the world in monotones i mean he couldn't hear out of his one ear you know from having had a punctured eardrum as a child and that really affected i guess how he heard music but no one will ever understand where he got the impetus for some of them sounds because, again, talking as we did with Pink Floyd, the sounds that he came up with to put on records, it's like, how would you even think of that? Right. And see, that's my problem. I think I showed you um, after the last interview, you know, on my phone, the hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of, you know, little riff ideas and mm-hmm. things that I have. Right. And my problem is that I have the technical wherewithal to record a song and do all of that stuff. But my problem is I don't have that 
that wiring to understand like, oh, you know what would be perfect right here is this sound effect mm-hmm. or oh, I, a cello would be the perfect accompaniment <laughs> for that. You know, and, and, and I think that's a different skill set from the mixing and producing side of things that okay. is uh, it, is really neat. And I was curious, though. So Mike Love and Brian Wilson, it's, it's easy to kind of like find these duos in mm-hmm. in these groups that obviously feature more than just those two guys. Right. Was there ever any tension that you're aware of for the two of them? Oh, without a doubt. But you have to remember, too, these were, they were all related. You know, it was the Wilson brothers. There were three of them in, in the band, and Mike Love was their cousin. So you had that dynamic where, uh, you know, families don't always get along. It's just natural. But they came to it in adulthood, right? Because when when we think of, when I think of families and music, I think of the Jacksons, the mm-hmm. Osmonds, you know, um, there's another one that's obvious that I'm blanking on. Unless the it was Partridge the family. The Partridge family. There we go. Yeah, right. There's always... Oh, shadows of my youth, the 60s. The Partridge family was on TV for years. The, the, there's either a patriarchal or matriarchal figure. Mm-hmm. There's some leading driving force mm-hmm. that is really at the core of it. But for them, for the Beach Boys, they were already adults, right, when, when, when they formed? Or no, no, it? no. They, were, they started when they were younger. And their, the Wilson's father was more or less their driving force because he worked in a radio studio. So he kind of got them into it. But, I mean, obviously there was a lot of talent there because it, it wasn't just Mike Love and Brian Wilson singing. It was Carl Wilson and it was Dennis Wilson. They all sang. And they all had these wonderful voices, and you have four-part harmonies in their songs. Again, they, they, they really were probably one of the best harmonic bands that ever was. Uh, when I start getting into harmony, then I also have to you know, bring up the Moody Blues because they're more, we, we, we used to call them your you know, tripping music because they were really out there, but the, the harmonies in their sound, oh my goodness. Was it, okay, so Nights in White Satin, not White Room, what's, did No, that was Cream, um, Tuesday Afternoon. Tuesday Afternoon, you know, and uh, then Your Wildest Dreams is by yeah. far my favorite tune from okay. them. Okay, yeah, that was a little later in their career, but uh, there's just too many to uh, name. Question of Balance was one of the albums, but uh, I tell everybody, if you really want to get a touch or a feel for the Moody Blues, just listen to their best of, because it almost sounds like an album that was a concept album, but it, it's taken from like seven different albums that they had released, and they still kind of blended it into one song fits into the other, and singer in a rock and roll band, uh, they, they had a lot of great songs. We spoke really briefly about a band called Tool from the, the 90s and 2000s mm-hmm. and whatnot, and yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this, but on one of... so. Tool fans have a reputation for being insufferable because Tool music <laughs> is, they, they, they call it math rock at times. Like there's one, uh, a song that follows the Fibonacci sequence in terms of the <laughs> lyrical syllables. Like they get really, really into it. And okay. what I, I only found this out recently, last couple of years, that they have, and, and none of their songs are like, you know, pop radio friendly stuff. No, a lot no, of them no, are, no. are yep. much longer. But somebody discovered that there were three songs, I think on the same album, but it's possible that it was spread across more than one album, that when you combine those three songs end-to-end, that it actually, or overlap them, I think that's what it was, I think if you combine them into the same audio file, 
that it creates essentially a new song where the lyrics, the new arrangement of the lyrics, they pick up and drop off perfectly. Wow. It's it's like that kind of thing is. I hadn't wild. heard that, but that is that's really wild. That I mean, that's next level. It's, <laughs> and, and I love maybe they were mathematical geniuses because if that's true, wow, that I can't even conceive of you know putting three songs together like that and have it create a, a fourth song it's it re- just, yeah it's it's wow. unbelievable yeah that, i mean i was never a big tool fan i've listened to tool music but and i, I didn't know that they were difficult to <laughs> well so and, and it's like that's the kind of like apocryphal stuff that i love like was it mm-hmm. was it zeppelin or was it the beatles that had it where if you played something backwards oh, the, it was like a satanic right i think they talked about that with just about every band at one point you know right well the satanic panic that yes, you know it, gripped right, the nation. It, it, oh please yes we did have that and yeah, yeah. Well, all the moms don't listen to that anymore. Yeah, but I, I love that kind of stuff where you know there's hidden things or extras. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard the term pre-gap? I know that's a, it's got a an no. awkward kind of ring to it. Yeah. Uh, no. So so there is a I, I'm probably butchering the, the technical term for it, but when CDs came out, it's a storage media, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's a small segment before track one that holds some kind of like loading information or something to it. Somebody found out that you were able to access that. And so some bands actually have either not full, full songs, but like extra stuff that's Mm -hmm. put in there uh, in in the pre-gap. And the only way you can get there, so this goes back, obviously we're dating ourselves Mm -hmm. again here, (laughs) but when you had the CD player, like it was something like rewinding all the way back from, you know, uh, the zero mark on track one for right. a certain number of time or something. There was a way to access it where you okay. could actually hear it, which again, th- that kind but of thing. Who, who cool. thinks of these things? That's what the same with playing albums backwards. Who, like who does that? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. And, and it's funny. There's um, a video game studio called rockstar games. So they do mm-hmm. the grand theft auto games and red Dead redemption. And they are renowned for doing that exact thing. And, huh. It's it's amazing because of the intricacy involved in certain and some things. So I remember Tim and I, Tim Tim enjoyed watching me play a Grand Theft Auto Five, and I remember <laughs> finishing it. We got to a hundred percent, and there had to be like these very specific sets of conditions between the weather, the time, the mm-hmm. confluence of all this stuff. And if you went to a certain place at a certain time, you could see a UFO. And like again, <laughs> the coding to be able to to find that stuff out is just it really is unbelievable. But again, right? It speaks it's, to go back to the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. It's just I think it's just being wired differently, like being able to think not so much outside of the box, but just looking at a, a situation from a, a perspective that nobody else yeah would. Okay, and. Going back to the uh, the backwards music, that the Beatles also, you know, on I am a walrus. If you play the backwards, Paul's dead. Paul's dead. Right. That, that, that was the big rumor, and you know, there's yeah. oh no, McCartney died, and this was 1960. Eight, 69. But there's a, well, yeah, it's crazy. The, the 60, well, what a surprise. <laughs> I that think they McCartney's were, still alive. I, I've seen him. <laughs> well, I've, but I've heard that there was a conspiracy that that's a replacement, that that's not the, you uh-huh. know, the original one. And to be, I mean, conspiracy theories in the 60s, I wonder what could have caused, uh, you know, could have caused all that. I am not a criminal. <laughs> yeah. So we were discussing the Moody Blues, and mm-hmm. that's more of, I, I think of them as being like a 70s era rock okay. band. They, they actually did start in the early 60s um and their sound was so much different too if you can look it up uh, a song called go now i'm sure you've heard it at some point but yeah that was the moody blues and it was so different from what they became 
and, I still think it's a great song. It just isn't what I picture the Moody Blues as anymore. Right. Well, they were evolving their sound, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the, I, I guess I just have a weird default setting in my head when I think of decades and bands. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, the 60s is the Beatles on one end of the the you know, stereo spectrum right. and then Jefferson airplane at the other where it's, okay. you know, uh, <laughs> I know you, the Rolling Stones are from the early sixties on. I mean, that's a band that's been playing. Oh wow. 60 years. Now. Yeah. But, <laughs> and I don't know what the association is in terms of the sound, but to, with Jefferson airplane, I think of like the turtles, right? Mm-hmm. I think okay. of, um, flow and Eddie's. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and I guess just the way the sound is from the greatest hits album that you were talking about with the Moody Blues. I I just from from my brain the reference for that is like the seventies or like the early eighties, you know, precinct okay. and all yeah. that. Um, but one of my favorite bands that I really need to take a deeper dive into their catalog is Yes, and we've dis- yes. discussed them. I am a sucker for great piano work and mm-hmm. great keyboards. And oh, we, you we, certainly had that in spades. And and yes, and for you know, so not just Rick Wakeman. You had Trevor Downs. And, and uh, I'm coming off of the the high perch that I was on mm-hmm. with uh, with Ray from the Doors. <laughs> okay, and I'm, I'm willing to concede that those guys in Yes are the superior keyboardists. I was just going with the signature, like iconic sound. sound. As much as I love Ray Manzarek and the Doors, absolutely no. On a skill level, right? Hundred percent. He's he's not in their league, and, and nor is he in uh, you know Keith Emerson's league. Well, again, he's not with us anymore. But right. Yeah, uh, so I saw, and and what did it for me? Funny enough, exact is exactly what you said. It was um, a performance on Access TV on mm-hmm. on uh, Verizon. And it was a Yes concert, and I watched... It was just an intro. Now, was it Yes from the 70s or Yes from now, which is a totally different thing because um, I think it was probably around 2000, the early 20s, when John Anderson got sick and couldn't tour with them, so they replaced him, and now they won't let him back in the band even though he's... You know, he's fine. Yeah, no, it was definitely a, a later performance okay, sure. um, or, or from a more recent time. But mm-hmm. it was more just the intricacy mm-hmm. of the keyboard parts and just seeing, you know, obviously yeah. the, I, I, when I think of yes, I think of like virtuoso guitar, virtuoso oh. keyboards mm-hmm. and just the layering, like the uh, the vocal layering and yeah. stuff, you know is uh is great i'm trying to think like owner of a lonely heart yeah clearly not indicative that was an awful sound i'm gonna start that for over. them i don't yeah no owners yeah the owner of a lonely heart wasn't one of their i mean it was a good song it just to me wasn't one of their better uh tracks you know they had so many more you know like going back to older yes i mean my favorite yes song is roundabout i don't know how you can go wrong with that in no terms you can't of, no yeah. it, well, that was why it was an encore for so many years yeah and yeah. one of the things that i love about the era that we live in and i think we're both pretty lucky you've you've obviously gotten to to live through more uh more decades than i have but you somehow but, survived them. So, whether you remember them or not is, is immaterial a story and for another day but you're we're also old enough and not too old enough mm-hmm. to appreciate the era that we live in now mm-hmm. and one of the things that i was really resistant to a few years ago was youtube in terms of these, I'm just going to call them YouTube guitarists, right? So they were these guys, largely guys, mm-hmm. that made names for themselves and had millions of followers by doing all sorts of like 
don't know, what, what I would consider like asinine stuff. It, it was definitely me being sort of highbrow about it. But one of the benefits that I realize about YouTube overall is it's given a platform to a lot of amazing, amazingly skilled amateur musicians mm -hmm. that I would never have had the opportunity to encounter. And one of the, the things that I'm thinking of is finger style guitarists. I know I've sent you a couple different videos yes, from a couple yeah. different oh, guys, mm -hmm. but there was one guy who did Roundabout and he combined everything. Like he, it was, he was playing the, obviously the acoustic intro mm -hmm. part, but then when it kicks, when it kicks in, he's playing the bass notes, the right. vocal melody and the guitar, wow. all finger style. And, and the, the comments on the video where this guy did this during a lunch break, he didn't do the, <laughs> he, he did like, let's say two and a half minutes of the full song. Right. But oh but my gosh, just, it's just, if you're finger picking on that song, that's, I mean, how? Yeah. It's, yeah. That's, that's gotta, I can't even imagine how difficult but you talk about, yes, and I, I was fortunate enough to see them a few times, and they put on such tremendous shows. Did I they remember have lights and stuff? Or? Yeah, light show, and one particular tour, they they had the stage sent up, set up in the center of the uh, floor, and it was, yes, in the round. The stage actually rotated around, so at one point you would be, you know, having John Anderson facing you, and then another point he'd be, you know, putting his back to you, but... It, I think it was a neat idea in that no matter where you sat, at one point in the show, you got to see your, you know, the band playing their music as they were facing you and it had to be more enjoyable for a lot of the fans. I mean, but what a vocalist, John Anderson. I just, my God, how could he hit them notes? I mean, such a high range. Yeah, it, it was like a clarion call, like the, mm. the clarity too of, <laughs> yeah. of those right. notes ringing out. But that, see, that's what I loved about Plant. And some of the higher stuff, you know, especially like Immigrant Song, right? That's right. that's the obvious oh, yeah. one. Um, but, you know, so, all right, we're here. Right. My, the vocal range is just, yeah. And, and that's just it. If you look at, uh, I don't know if it's Babe, I'm Going to Leave You. We're going to California. I think going to mm -hmm. California is where he okay. starts off really low and then starts to, to work his way up. And I think he does the same in Babe, I'm Going to Leave You as well. Them, yeah, right? okay. Senior yeah. moment here, sorry. That's a, please. <laughs> but, and, and I'm... This is a band, I don't remember if we spoke about them on the podcast, but I love Heart so, so, so much. Mm -hmm. And no, Ann we Wilson did not. And, okay, and yes. So she, to me, yeah. she is the sing. and I know, listen, Whitney Houston gets a lot of love and, and understandably so, but for me, Absolutely. just for rock, 100% mm -hmm. sure. Uh, but for me, Ann Wilson is the greatest female vocalist of all time because of the range and the power. That woman belts out those songs and there are a lot of pretenders to the led zeppelin throne mm -hmm. and a lot of you know groups they actually had the seal of approval yeah. from led zeppelin because I, when they heard their cover of was it my, rock and roll yeah i just got to think it was rock and roll they were like blown away because she again man what a powerful powerful voice and the same yeah. and that's just it so many of these groups that were inspired by zeppelin and i mean listen you're always going to have that there are bands that it's it's very difficult to shake your influences as a creative mm -hmm. person and i know that personally as a writer that early on it's just it's awful and you're fortunate if you ever get <laughs> past it and find your own voice and she clearly like it's funny because they came out of seattle just 
I can't even say before the grunge era. I mean, mm-hmm. they, obviously they were, it was concurrent with it. Like they started way before, but yeah, they were there say, still. No, they were definitely before the grunge era, but... Um, but still going strong throughout oh, it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, from, and I guess being from Seattle, it had to have some pull for them, some, you know, basis of their sound. But the, again, that heart really, wow. They, they're a fantastic band still. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. it's a shame. I don't know if you saw the Kennedy Honors. Uh, no, I per- did not see that, but yeah. But I think they did Stairway, which yes, was kind did. of a bummer because yeah. that's not where. I mean, it was. It was, listen, it was phenomenal. They did it right. They did it. They did it justice. But there was but, two uh, problems that I had with it. One was <laughs> that didn't capture the essence of what makes Heart great, and in terms of their covering, like it's the mm-hmm. energy. So you know, right. those uh, there, there were other better songs for that. Number one, number two, Robert Plant hates. Hates he, hates that song. Right, he doesn't. Right, he, and he really doesn't, doesn't hide that hatred very no, well. No, he does not. And <laughs> he's not a fan of the song. Well, but again, when you, here we are with Robert Plant, he has evolved, and that's in my book still a plus. I mean, would I like to be going to see Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, and John Paul Jones with Jason Bonham on the drums? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I would pay good money to go see them, but that's not where Robert Plant is at. He has moved on and followed his own muse. Now, I don't know how you would categorize. You're, you're far more well-versed in his post-Zeppelin catalog than yeah. I am. But I feel like his sound, not counting the Alison Krauss, the Sands Yeah, no, uh, right. That's just, yeah, that's like a full bluegrass. Yeah, that's blue, full-blown bo- full bluegrass music. It's a, yes. it's a, that's a hard, couple. Yeah, that's a hard couple words to put together. Um, <laughs> I feel like some of his stuff almost bordered on world music. Mm-hmm. And I know that's like a, a weird no, category, but that's it, how yeah, I would describe it. Um, Mighty Rearranger, one of the discs that he released, and now it's probably 10 years ago or more. Um, my son and I sat and we discussed this and it was like, I don't know how you categorize this record. It's rock and roll, but it's not rock and roll. It, it just, right, world music might be the better way to, because it does encompass different sounds. You know, he still has that Eastern influence that he willingly plays to. But again, it's, you know, I can't, I still would like to see them play together. I mean, now I don't think we'll ever see either of them really touring again. You know, well, Robert Plant's still doing the thing with Alison Krauss, but uh, Jimmy Page is 79, just tougher. I know I I couldn't do something like that three or four nights a week, get up on stage for three hours. Well, I was shocked to see that Clapton's got some shows put up because he, he, you know, fell off. I guess, was it the neuropathy? I think that's what it was. Mm. I think think it was um, neuropathy in his hand that made it more difficult for him to play. But then there was also like a touring issue and stuff. (laughs) Now he really is slow hand. hand. (laughs) I knew it it was coming. (laughs) Um, But the, the one guy I don't want to get... I, I want to, you know what? Let's talk about Stairway first, and then I want to yeah. talk about John Miles. Okay, I was just going to tell you that the one thing I do want to discuss is John Miles, who we did miss last time, and there's a couple other artists. Well, we did get to the Moody Blues. So, so yeah. I feel I feel like this is fodder for an episode unto itself because mm-hmm. we've never really had this discussion per se. Okay. But I actually have a list of what I consider to be like the greatest songs of all time. Mm-hmm. My, I think everybody does. <clears throat> it's just. It's an ever-evolving list because it depends on where my mind is on any given day. And the more, it's funny, the more I think about it, the more complicated it becomes for me. <laughs> so I try to, to, to limit it. But I noticed that 
more often than not. And so I had a, an infatuation with Freebird for a while. So that's why that was uh, oh. up there. Up <laughs> so that, the, top. the text I sent you was yeah. right spot on. Oh, it was. Oh, it was, it was great. <laughs> For some. <laughs> and, you know, but then, so that's the problem, right? As you hear, I, I start thinking about Freebird and mm-hmm. then I'm like, well, Sweet Home Alabama is pretty good. And oh, Tuesday's yeah. gone. Mm-hmm. And Simple Man, you know. Give me sh- three steps. Give me three. Yeah, oh, that's, yeah. that's another great Yeah. Movie. Oh, man. They had so much. And they packed it into such a short time. Oh, they, they, exactly. Yeah. I mean, oh, man. Wow. I mean, because, I mean, unfortunately, they didn't have that long history i mean sure they're still playing but now there is not one original member right in the band was so. it ronnie van zant was the uh no who? yeah ronnie van zant the singer yeah so my my top two or and Johnny i think it, yeah one, one of those guys <laughs> my top two songs and mm-hmm. uh, stairway was number one lock solid for mm-hmm. the longest time yeah. but hotel california i almost want to slip that into the top spot okay. but <clears throat> the reason for both songs because i've thought at length about it right what is it about those two songs in particular that share some things in common that elevate them above just typical songs because there's okay. i mean there's thousands upon thousands of great mm-hmm. songs but there's something for me at least that elevates both of those to a status that no other song really can reach and i think it's the epicness of the build-up of the song okay and the mysticism that comes with it, right? There's a dreamlike quality, and for me, oh, absolutely, to both and you songs. Can, how they both build to this amazing crescendo. Uh, you know, when no, I I would add other songs. Obviously, you know, Kashmir to me is the greatest song that Led Zeppelin ever recorded. It's not my favorite Led Zeppelin song, but Game admires Game, and Kashmir was just. Was the, per- was that perfect. was the epitome, of, right? Uh, that right, uh, the best. I mean, I don't think you could top that. No, and he, it, I mean they came close. Presence, you know, stairway, but so for me with Kashmir, the Eastern influences are phenomenal. The alternate tuning that mm-hmm. he used, I think he used Dadgad for that. Right. The the rip, the heaviness. I mean, it's it's like a a, a slow burning like metal yeah. song, mm-hmm. and then the vocal, oh, just right. the the vocals. Another song. So for me. Kashmir and Dream On are at the next okay. tier just yep. below that. If you were, well, and I know, unfortunately, you weren't fortunate enough to, do, to see that. When Robert Plant and Jimmy Page toured in 95 with orchestrals behind them, oh. they had a regular orchestra and an Indian orchestra. Kashmir became another song totally, and it was even better. Oh, I'll have to check that. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, oh, you, yeah you can listen too. to it on No Quarter. The disc they oh, okay. released, but still, yeah, when you see it live, it's always better off. So the thing with Stairway, though, aside from, like, the lilting flute, there's so many minute details mm-hmm. that I never really <laughs> picked up on until I was trying to learn to play the solo. And I was using—it's uh, a tablature program called Tux Guitar, and, and the Tux Guitar files are—so obviously when you're trying to learn tablature, it's like numerical sheet music. Mm-hmm. So it's just static on the page. This— right program allows you essentially to play it so you can hear the notes as it's going through and i never noticed the gradual increase in the tempo like i I mean i felt it but i didn't actually see numerically what was happening and it's it really is fascinating just to see how they built the song and again just the way it starts to build up slowly the way everything sort of like loops back upon itself it's almost Mm -hmm. like a conch cell a conch cell conch 
shell. Wow. Again, uh, tough like, things where it's to put together. I should have just gone with Fibonacci spiral because that one worked before. But that, that, if you want to think of like the golden ratio and all that, it really does sort of follow that where it loops back on itself, but not precisely, you know, it, and it just keeps adding to it. And then for me, and I know this is like the trite answer, obviously the comfortably numb guitar solos for me at least oh. are the, the two greatest ones ever recorded. Nice. But I love the one in Stairway because it fits it perfectly from start to finish. Mm -hmm. it, it's just the way it builds up and then leads into right. the outro Him section. Just and just blasting. Oh, <laughs> and so it's, so it's great. And then lyrically, mm -hmm. that's the other thing too. Like it has enough... Again, I don't want to say mysticism because clearly some of their other stuff is is you know sure. involving the occult no, but, and stuff. But that dream like it fits. Yeah, no, again. it absolutely fits. And yeah. so then you've got Hotel California, which is the same kind of thing. And again, mm -hmm. you want to talk about live versions of the song transcending mm -hmm. any recorded ones. Sure. I mean, the Hell Freezes Over tour version is ridiculous. <laughs> then you've got like other ones. And, and it may be that one that I'm thinking of that it's like almost like a flamenco guitar solo for Joe Walsh. Mm -hmm. And it's just, oh, but that's what I mean. Like those songs have just something extra and... Again, like you want to talk iconic. You right. hear that first strummed chord for Hotel California and, or, or the first arpeggio mm -hmm. for Stairway. Oh, yeah. you're just transported. And there is someone else that we had not discussed previously who doesn't get near enough credit for his genius, Joe Walsh. He was, I mean, he still is because I first remember listening to Joe Walsh when he was playing in the James Gang with his brother. I think there was one other person with them that might have been a trio might have worked but they had some awesome music even then and i i still t like when he joined the eagles i'm like what's he thinking because the eagles were such they were kind of just a mellow country rock band and i'm like what's joe Walsh doing going there and obviously you see the result so again, now now I've got a trident fork in the road here uh, of tangents because we're still going to get to John Miles. Yeah, oh, but trust me, I will not let us forget John Miles today. The I'm shocked more that Henley and uh, Glenn Frey. I really should have looked it up because it's yeah. killing me if it's Frey or Frey. Frey. <laughs> I'm just going to say Frey. So that they would want him. Uh, in the band because of the personality clash. Listen, jo I don't think I've ever seen someone have more fun playing music <laughs> than Joe, Joe freaking Walsh. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He can, right. He enjoys himself. I mean, I think his song life's been uh, good. He wrote that about himself. Yeah. I mean, that is just autobiographical in, in, in nature. He, yeah, he's having a good time and God bless him for it. But, but I, I think I know what it is that attracted him to them it definitely wasn't the guitar playing because his song <laughs> no. you you know you you know a joe walsh eagle mm -hmm. song when you hear it clearly yeah. mm -hmm. but his he is such an underrated harmonizer mm -hmm. and vocalist in his own right absolutely and it's funny because you don't really appreciate it at least for me right like when right. you think of like funk 49 and rocky mountain mm -hmm. like all those songs like yeah he sounds great singing but yeah. the harmonies and that's this the softness to it is if just you not listen there. to pretty maids all in a row from the Hotel California album. That's Joe Walsh. Yeah. And he had a better singing voice than he's given credit for. All right. So before we get to John Miles, you just mentioned Joe Walsh. Mm -hmm. So I thought of Joe Walsh and Timothy B. Schmidt earlier when we were talking about the Beatles, right? Okay. Because you've got uh, Lennon and McCartney as mm -hmm. the duo there. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Glenn 
whatever his last name is, <laughs> and Don Henley. And then you have the other two. So for me, like Joe Walsh is the equivalent of George Harrison. Right. Not, and that they were only giving him one song right, and, <laughs> on an album. <laughs> and clearly far more talented than mm-hmm. they were given credit for. And then uh, Ringo and Timothy B. Schmidt, an undeniable contributor to the, the band. To the, to the overall sound, but again... More or less overlooked, right? And yeah. then, what, but Ringo wasn't even the original drummer. If I'm no, no, you're correct. Yeah, and and so it's the same thing with Don right. Felder because then you had another mm-hmm. member that was sort of part of the founding thing. Right. The other part of the Trident, uh, oh man, Pete Best, who was it? Pete Best, the oh, original Best, drummer of right. the Beatles. Yeah. Did you know that Jackson Brown co-wrote the Eagles song "Take It Easy"? I did know that, and as someone else, we really never discussed Jackson Brown is. Such a talented artist. I mean, it's a different style of music. You have to really, you know. How, how would you categorize it? Is it soft rock? Is it country rock? Is it folk music? He reminds me of someone we neglected to bring up last time, James Taylor, who yes. has to be one of the all-time greatest, you know, folk music players or soft rock, if you will. Uh, I love JT. He, you know. He just has so many good songs. And uh, one of the first five albums I ever owned, Sweet Baby James. Yeah, that was a great disc, a great album. He, see, I associate him with the acoustic guitar Mm -hmm. uh, on a short list of of other performers. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can't imagine him holding an electric or. No, no, no. I don't think he even owns it. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, he may. I obviously don't no, know. But I, but, I think yeah. of him and Joni Mitchell, and, mm-hmm. and there's there's certain ones that, again, they have a certain spirit about them. We, we talked Absolutely. about that with Tom Petty and but Bob But there's Seger. also a, an awful lot of talent there because you watch him, he'll be playing lead and rhythm at the same time, and that is really not an easy thing to do. No, you know? he has an effortless vocal you oh, know, the, quality. The vocal quality, yeah, just effortless, it seems. Obviously, it, it's not, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many songs of his. They're almost like the soundtrack to your, you know, fire your summer rain. or fire and rain. That's yeah. probably my favorite. Yeah, sweet baby James again. Yeah, uh, from that album. Uh, just too many. How sweet it is. Yeah, almost know? right. That, exactly. It's a little older or more recent. But. I feel like that one has sort of jumped the shark and entered, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. it's, that's like the, the classic pop. Yeah, no, no, not even just yeah. the pop, but the usage of it. Right. So okay. it's, it's yeah. either yeah, like you hear a it at every 16. Event. Yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. yeah. yeah. Any event you go to, like that was played last night at the retirement party. Right. Exactly. So yeah, it, it's <laughs> no. And, and it's funny, right? Like I, I'll go through these phases where I just sort of get fixated on an artist mm-hmm. or just a song oh. or whatever. And for some reason, Lately, it's been somebody's baby from okay. Jackson Brown. Okay, uh, yeah. I just I don't know what it is. It's yeah. I, I think part of it is the instrumentation, mm-hmm. and that's why like I can see the country rock, I can see the folk rock, I can see a lot of it, but there's just still that quality to it that's got like almost it's, like an '80s sort of vibe to it, you know, or his own uniqueness, yeah, if you will, yeah. And it's I'm really glad to hear that. I'm not the only one that does that kind of thing where I'll fixate on a song or an artist for a day, a week, a month, a weekday. I'm on week two with uh, somebody's baby. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, that either means that we're both nuts or, you know. But I'm sure other people are like this. Please let us know. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. We're on the uh, we're on the tightrope there. Um, so John Miles. John Let's... Miles. That's an artist I know. I turned you on to, uh, and 
I really hope that you did enjoy that disc because to me, it just almost sums up a life in that, you know, what the song music means because it it just really covers everything. It's like, as the words, as the songs say, you know, it was his first love and it'll be his last, you know, music of the future, music of the past. I love all kinds of music and it just, I don't like being pigeonholed as, you know, oh, he's an old rocker or, you know. Oh, no, I, I, I'm pretty sure anybody who listened to the first episode <laughs> clearly understands that, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got a couple screws loose. No, no, no. no. Just the, the entire, open. yeah, the entire disc. I mean, I just, he is someone that was very underappreciated. He never made it big in the industry. I mean, he, he also played, he did a lot of the vocals on the Jimmy Page Outrider disc, which not many people are aware of, except for the one song that, you know, Robert Plant did with him on that. But, uh, yeah, John Miles, he played every instrument on that disc as well. Before it was cool. Yeah. Before everybody yeah, right started before. doing it nowadays. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that is from the early to mid-70s <sighs> that he did that. So, If anybody can, it's called John Miles Rebel is the title. If you can find it, check it out. It's really worth a listen. So... I'll give you my response to it because I put that CD in, I started listening to it, and first of all, I was blown away. I was I was mortified that <laughs> this album existed for as long as it did, and I've existed I've existed for as long as I have, and, <laughs> and I had never not, heard it. I, <laughs> I, I not only had I not heard it, mm-hmm. I had never heard of it or of him. Wow, he just completely went under my radar. And as mm-hmm. lame as this is going to sound, and clearly I, I'm lame in spades, so I don't care. <laughs> When I heard that album, I was about halfway through when it when it clicked and when it registered. Mm-hmm. And again, this is where it gets soppy and sentimental. Right. But I felt like I had found, from a musical standpoint, a lifelong friend that I never knew I had. Right. And it just, it was like this tidal wave of like getting caught up. Like it was mm-hmm. like, it's always been there. And, and I guess I say that because... Billy Joel's a great example of this, where, like, that's the earliest musical memory I have. My mom was a huge Billy Joel and Elton John fan, right? So there's, like, a certain nostalgia or a certain connection to it, and I kind of look back. Mm -hmm. And then there are other songs or albums or things. I think everybody has this if you're a music fan. She must have been in heaven if she got to see that tour that they did together. You know what? I think she might have. (laughs) Uh, But And so there is history with Mm -hmm. certain artists or bands or songs or whatever that... I don't have with John Miles or didn't think I had until I did. Like, again, it just felt like it was always there. And it was just like, like almost like a favorite, maybe this is a better example. It felt like a favorite book that is cherished, that hasn't mm-hmm. been opened in, in decades. so long and you start reading it again and, and you it, can't put it down. That's, that's oh, absolutely exactly. Yeah. No, he was, so he was just amazing. And so it's, you mentioned that he played, it's funny now with kids sports and everything, right? Mm-hmm. There's all the specializing and stuff. And I feel like it was the opposite back then. Like, you know, with right. music, you were a guitarist mm-hmm. only. That was this or that, not yeah. a, you know. Yeah. You played guitar or you played bass. You couldn't do both or, you know, piano or, you know, whatever else in, right. in, involved. So. It's so the obviously the, he didn't do the orchestral parts, well, heck, but you know what? <laughs> he could have probably. I, I, did uh, did McCarty do any of the strings and stuff? I feel like he did. I feel like he was one of those like sort of jack of all trades kind of. I that you know. I really don't know. I I can't imagine. I mean, obviously McCartney is uber talented. 
you know, the ability to play the piano, the bass, and lead guitar. And, and he, he's and, a, a decent drummer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's definitely serviceable there, which yeah. is the perfect segue to yeah. <laughs> the other musical part. And then I wanted to hit you up about some baseball stuff. Okay, um, absolutely. So I think we touched on this off the air the last time, but I was fascinated by the number of drummers that became lead singers and then wow. went off and became solo artists. Okay. And again, I feel like that's a great, uh, you know, top 10 sort of article thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously you've got Don Henley is arguably the most successful. I, I, I wouldn't say, because I don't Phil know how Collins. well he sold. Well, no, so he, so Phil Collins was the one I was going to get to. Yeah, he might have but I was more saying, success as, it, um, I mean, just as a, a, a single artist, Put right? I, I was so I was going totality, right? If you okay. look at uh, just purely albums mm. sold by the Eagles, and then Don Henley's solo albums, because remember for Don Henley, right? Mm-hmm. He had Boys of Summer, which again we'll get to that with the baseball right. stuff in a okay. second. Yeah. Uh, Dirty That's Laundry, a very good segue. And Boys then, of Summer, and and, and then you know the the other and uh, the same thing, right? So Phil Collins covered uh, Cindy Lauper, right, with True Colors. Mm-hmm. He covered oh another song. Um, well, he covered a lot of the a, older right. yes. you know, artists as well. Like R&B stuff mm-hmm. for yeah, that. Yeah. So Henley didn't necessarily cover any of that stuff. He had Patti Smith, I think, he did mm-hmm. a song with. And then I think there was another one, too. Sometimes Love Just Ain't Enough. Um, but it's funny. The egos of these guys clearly had to have been a catalyst for what propelled them <laughs> forward. But I find it so fascinating to see that genesis of it huh? yeah, yeah very good where you know these guys they obviously it's different in the eagles because it was really just the two of them to, yeah. to begin with but mm-hmm. genesis specifically so wait a second this is what i wanted to do so i'm thinking of in terms of drummers that went on to become lead singers of bands okay. you've got don henley is, mm-hmm. is an obvious one right. genesis gets the asterisk because we're going to come back to that because not only did he, they have he didn't start out as a vocalist at all well he might have done some backing vocals Early on. But, yeah, you're right. He was not the lead vocalist at all. He didn't sing much through throughout the early part of Genesis. Right. And then you have... I, I have a hard time using this one as an example, but Dave Grohl started out as the drummer in Nirvana. Nirvana. Then yeah. became everything for the Foo Fighters. <laughs> yeah. So it's that's not really the same kind of thing, but I feel like there were I, I, other ones. Yeah, that counts, Dave Grohl, because like you said he started as the drummer, just the drummer. and yeah. But I he, feel like there's a third one, like historically speaking, that, ju- that like I should be... Ringo, okay. uh, not, you know, to, I mean, Ringo's had a tremendous career now. He's still still doing it with his all-star band. So I yeah. my reference for Ringo just outs me as an 80s kid because I remember him as being Mr. Conductor from, was it Shining Time Station, I think was the show? But, so it was a PBS show. No, I do remember that, yeah, he did the show, but but I can't recall the title. But the best part was the other guy that I think he, he, either he replaced him or was replaced by him, George Carlin. George, and, and it's funny because in, in some of his sets, he referenced that. He's like, and you know I'm telling the truth because I was Mr. Fucking Conductor. And uh, yeah, so, but the, um, we, we talked briefly about the confluence of ego between you. you so you need a, in, in my mind, right? You need a certain amount of ego to be a successful front person, male or female, for, oh, for the band. Without a doubt. No, you have to. I because, mean, because of the swagger involved. Right. And, you're, you're, and you're the person that's up front selling. So, yeah, you have to have, a, I think, a pretty big 
exercised. Exactly. Yeah. And we spoke about, you know, the bass players are often the overlooked ones, mm-hmm. and, but typically, <laughs> you know, as much as it kills me to say this, like the best guitarists that I've met are actually bass players who just, you know, fiddle around on guitar on the mm-hmm. side. And that's frustrating to devote yourself to an instrument like I have and yeah. Yeah. still to suck in comparison with someone who's using only four strings. But that's that's neither here nor there. The drummer, though, again, right, if you're especially in the 60s, 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, yeah. 80s, the drummers are the wild child, you know, and, and, and all that. And so that mm-hmm. it, it kind of tended to be that way yeah yeah and because we talked about keith moon and mm-hmm. bonham and all that bonham, yeah. and so it's funny when you when you have the drummer that then becomes the lead <laughs> singer and what i'm noticing though is the style stylistically right we we talked about copeland we talked about a little bit about like neil pert mm. and some of these other guys they had again a more animalistic like energized mm. approach to playing the drums don henley and phil collins were not that, like, no. they were just timekeepers, no. essentially, right? And if really? you come around full circle, I'll go all the way back to the Beach Boys. Brian Wilson was the drummer, and he was an animal as well. Oh, okay, so that's <laughs> yeah, he, interesting. Oh, he was just, yeah, he probably made Dennis look, you know, no, no, excuse me, Dennis was the drummer. Brian, oh, he, okay. Dennis made Brian look calm. Tame, right. Yeah, tame by comparison. And, and that's why with, you know, Phil Collins and Don Henley, I guess I feel like they were always lead singers mm-hmm. who just happen to be the drummers, drummers as well. Yeah. Um, and if, you know, it's how many bands like Genesis are there that have a singer like Peter freaking Gabriel and then <laughs> managed to replace him. I mean, he was ousted essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Salisbury Hill covers that pretty nicely, <laughs> which again, you want to talk finger picking and stuff. Right. That is one of the best songs for me of all time. I love Peter Gabriel. You talk world yeah. music and stuff mm-hmm. <clears throat> in your eyes and Salisbury Hill. Oh, right. th- those are on my, uh, my top 25, uh, songs. Again, you come, you come from, come at it from a different angle because you do play guitar and that would open it up to you. Like you said with the finger picking style on yeah. these songs, well, just like Blackbird, right? Yeah. From the Beatles. Oh. It's, it's just kind of got this jaunty. Blackbird is memory. one of them songs that I, yeah, it's so, so good. And because they have so much other stuff, that's fantastic. It doesn't get it stupid. But Blackbird is an awesome song. Yeah. Yeah. And so for, moving from Peter to, to Phil, you look at Phil Collins and you look at Don Henley and it's, it really is amazing. Now, listen, I know you're more of a fan of the earlier, era genesis stuff and mm-hmm. i think a lot of people are for me i guess it's probably i i did i i'm not a huge prog rock guy to begin oh, with and okay. so i associate or, or i connect more with their really pop yeah. pop stuff you know the funny thing is is i think my favorite genesis album was duke mm. and that was newer and that is with phil singing and but because there's just so much good stuff on that singular disc the doobie brothers that's the other one that i was uh, thinking of where they oh, added michael mcdonald yes but again right see so it's funny i <laughs> love you want to talk greatest hits volume one and volume two from mm. the doobie brothers okay what a combination of tracks uh, yeah. or what a collection of tracks because you've got <laughs> a band that i've seen the doobie brothers touring with and now we haven't really discussed them uh again with a lot of great music chicago Oh man! I mean, because and that's before. I mean, with Peter Cetera, and then after they still managed to you know, talk about lead singers that just kind of decided they've had enough. But um, Chicago was. I mean, they have so many great, great songs. And, and 
Oh, man. We, so <laughs> every year in the summer, since we got the minivan in 2014, mm. I fell in love with Yacht Rock. Yacht Rock, the station. Okay. I didn't realize it was an actual genre or whatever. It's really just like <laughs> 70s soft rock. So okay. Steely Dan, mm-hmm. Chicago, oh, Steely all that Dan. stuff. Yeah. Um, and so for years, that's what the kick was. Recently, this year specifically, I'm on this new country station. And that started when Sarah and I went down to Florida. We were able to get only two stations in the rental car. It was some crap. <laughs> and they were both country. No, it was it was pop <laughs> pop rap or whatever from Orlando, and then this country uh, country station. And so I've I've been vacillating between the two, and so many of these great bands that eluded me until I started listening to Yacht Rock. America is one. You know, I knew a horse with no name, oh, but I didn't America, know Sister Golden Hair. Yeah, or, they had a, yeah um, they had like four or five really big hits, and you know then a, a, obviously a. a another whole library full of music that was maybe nearly as good as that, but not, you know, didn't get the airplay. Yeah. But, yeah. And I, it's, you mentioned Chicago. I feel like there's like a spider web, right? And so I can connect nodes from one band to the mm-hmm. next and probably make it all the way across somehow. But for me, <laughs> I've always associated... Kevin Bacon in Six Degrees. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty, there you pretty go. Much. <laughs> but I've always associated Chicago with REO Speedwagon. And I don't know why, I think some of the more radio-friendly hits. Now, listen, okay. Chicago no, is completely no. different. They were different bands, but I, I uh, guess I could see. See, I connect them with the Doobie Brothers because it seemed like for five years in a row, they were touring together every summer. And, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to see a couple of the shows at the Art Center. Blackwater, you know? man. Uh, yeah. That, that uh, gets, oh, that gets yeah. it done. Uh-huh. That gets it done for me. Yeah, and uh, 25 Jesus or 6 to right. 4. And, yeah. Oh. That's probably so. My two favorite Chicago songs. Obviously, you have like the the ballads, right? You're the mm-hmm. inspiration, sure. and all those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But twenty five or six to four and Saturday in the Park. Oh, yes, them two songs. Is it the? I'm trying to think if it's horns. Yeah, it's yes, horns. It is and horns. Saturday oh, in the park. Uh, mm-hmm. oh yes. man. Yes. Yes. And that's just like uh, Jerry Rafferty is another. That, that's that's right. a good separate topic too to kind mm-hmm. of go on, go into. Not the one-offs, but guys who sort of flew under the radar because he was with Steelers yeah. Wheel, but they really just mm-hmm. had uh, stuck in the middle, and it, that that's right. really famous only because it was in Reservoir Dogs. Right. Like Jerry, uh, I'm try- no, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of John Rafferty. He's like a local artist that oh okay yeah considered one of the best <clears throat> bar bands of all time. It's John Rafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. It, it locally, as in like yeah. Keyport locally? Or? No, 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 locally Monmouth County. Oh, Monmouth County. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Jerry Rafferty. And again, he's another one. So obviously Baker Street is oh, yeah. his best known mm-hmm. song. It's Tim's sure. favorite song of all time. We love listening to Good that. Good choice, Tim. <laughs> but we've heard some other ones right down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's. I mean, I don't want to go too far down the, right. the Jerry Rafferty rabbit hole, but he had a really messed up sort of life towards the end. Like it's it's worth the Wikipedia if you're into, mm-hmm. you know, sure. into, into that. He's, I'm going to have to look into it because I don't recall. Oh, I would check. Yeah, he had yeah. like a huge drinking depression problem and, and it was uh, kind like of a bad thing <laughs> well for him it was a problem for, for other people and, uh, you know, it might not be no yeah. chicago's great and so just to, to circle back to phil collins and henley it's it's just it's so amazing to me and sting sting is another great example he was a mm-hmm. bass player not um right. yeah not the drummer but right. but these guys who then came forward well actually he was forward in the, in the police anyway right well yeah. but and, and it, you don't have too many bass players that are the lead vocalist no and what john wetton comes to mind from uh, John Wetton, I guess the biggest group that he was ever in was Asia. I know he oh, had okay. played in other bands, and uh, I'm, I'm, I can't think of who. It there was. you go. That's another yacht rocker yeah. there. Ninety nine yeah. Toto. Yeah. Um, he plays with Joe Bonamassa and Oh, Joe Bonamassa is another. Um, one. But Black Country Communion. I can't think of uh, 
the bass player's name that is also the lead vocalist but he's he played with deep purple at one time and but yeah bass players that were lead vocalists are also rare rather yeah. rare and and the vocal quality uh, mm. you know sting is just such an amazing singer but the and actor Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, he's, he's. I've seen him in quite a few different things. But he, for each of those guys, they had so much success with bands that, in and of themselves, mm-hmm. had so much success. And yeah. then to have the solo careers that they had, it's funny, right? Because I feel like towards the end, especially with Michael McDonald, he's a perfect mm-hmm. example of this. Right. The personality becomes so strong that the band loses its identity and becomes too wrapped up in the new guy. In the same way Genesis did with Phil it, Collins. Right. Like you said, the. The ego gets so big, it's, no, now it's got to be Michael McDonald and the Doobie Brothers. It can't be the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, that, that kind of really freaked me out with a couple of bands that, that it came to that where the you know, lead vocalist wanted top billing. Or, or uh, as much as I loved their sound, the Black Crows. After oh, a, the Robinson Brothers, yeah, yeah. Well, after a few years, they Chris Robinson decided that he was firing everybody in the band. He didn't want them to leave. He just wanted them to be coming uh, session players for him. Right. And then he only had to pay him like a per diem instead of getting a percentage of the gate and everything. And it was like really a dick move. But Percentage of the gate, that's a great uh, a great opportunity, all right, yeah. to jump into baseball. So There you go. Or actually, because you got back to Don Henley and the boys yeah. of summer. But yes, baseball. So we, we actually, we had a listener question. After okay. the last episode. Wow. It may or may not have been my wife, but that's okay. She still <laughs> listened, right? She's a good listener. There you go. So Has to be. <laughs> her question for you, knowing that you are such a diehard baseball aficionado. Okay. And a, a legendary Not player, just a Yankee fan. Not just a Yankee fan. Yeah. No, no, no. I, you, I love baseball. That's, you walk yeah. the walk, okay? Yeah. You don't okay. just talk to talk. Okay. No, I, I, I freely admit to being biased by the Yankees, but I do love baseball. And so the Yankees are a perfect... Preparatory uh, topic. Fire here. everybody in the front office. Oh, I'm sorry. We're not really talking about the Yankees. <laughs> no. So Mariano Rivera, I feel, mm. popularized the walk-up music, the walk-out music as a closer, right? So yes. enter Sandman. Like, mm-hmm. and, and listen, I'm not a baseball and fan. And it fit him so oh, it well. Oh, it really did. No. Yeah. He usually put the other team to sleep. He really, no, he really, <clears throat> I'm not going to make a joke about baseball because I know I have some friends that listen about being put to sleep. That's neither here nor there. But obviously, you know, now we're in the era of, and I mean, I don't even know if they still do it, but the, the walk-up, the oh, at-bat music. Yeah, right? everybody has walk-up music now. It's, I think it's absurd, but that's a story for another day. So the, the listener question that you're going to think is absurd then is with your you know musical acumen and okay. your love of baseball, what would be, if you were to be a player today, what would your at-bat music be or what would your walk-up? Wow. That, that's a hard... I mean, it depends on how I feel on any given day, probably. But if just off the top of my head, I would say, welcome to the jungle. Oh, <laughs> oh, I love that. That's, just because it's... I, I just love that song. Well, not, not to nerd out, but I feel like we would probably do something similar where... Depending on the city you were in, I feel like you would like yeah, yeah, choose you, a song. Like certainly. if you're in Detroit, you know, you would do, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Bob Seger. Motor City Madness. City. Yeah, something, yeah, something, something appropriate for where yeah, you are. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Bob Seger song because you're in Detroit. I mean, that's so fitting, you know. Uh, Talk of the Bay if I'm in L.A., you yeah. know, because that Otis, man, you know, Otis Redding. Oh. And that just, that seems like a California song. Yeah, what, I was just going to say, what, yeah. a, what a great song that is. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Now, 
baseball and music for me are inextricably linked, right? You mm-hmm. have Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Yeah. I mean, we, don't worry. We're not going down that, yeah. you know, that whole. Well, you have um, Creedence Clearwater. Not center field. Yeah, yeah John Fogarty. In. Yeah, John Fogarty, right. So center he's, field, yeah. John Fogarty's going to have to have his own episode because mm-hmm. there's oh, so much yeah. to, to unpack with him. Without but a question, There, there yes. are so many great songs about about baseball. Does American Pie mention it? Am I making that up? I feel like there was no, some No, there's something it, in it, American it, Pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I love that. Yeah, that's that's another song we never really touched oh, on. Man. And that, I heard, the first time I ever heard that, I was sleeping over... Well, my ex-business partner and one of my best friends forever, Mark, we were sleeping over his grandparents' house, and he had to sleep with the radio on for whatever reason, but I remember waking up at 2 in the morning, and we had WNEW, that, that was where the hits were played, where all the great songs were, uh, and I heard American Pie, and I was so floored by that song. I mean, God, that is just... Talk about great music. I mean, and, and, and songs that just make you think. You yeah, know? and again, so. that's see that would be another fun category to sort of dive into is yeah. like songs that capture the American <laughs> spirit or the American experience. I, I'm that, not really sure how to describe it. I, I, got, American experience. Yeah, I I like that because it, it it is. It's just it's like a time capsule. Is is the best way I, I could describe it. I I would have to agree because I, I'm I'm just. Singing the song in my head right now, and it's just no, and, so and, awesome. and another yeah. epic, another yeah. epic song. Yes, and it, yes. Co- it just it covers mm-hmm. so much. Yep, and the three men I admired most: yeah. the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But they caught the last train for the ghost. And, and I was I was trying to translate that into Yankees. Do you have a, a Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for the uh, uh, for the Yankees? Gehrig, DiMaggio, too and, many great players. Uh, Lou Gehrig. I actually I, I have a. A Lou Gehrig story, in that um, when I was in the sixth grade, uh, Mr. Brown was our my, was my teacher. We didn't change classes, and um, we had to do a book report. And he said, "And at, after you write the book report, you have to do an oral report." And at that time, I couldn't speak in front of people. I just couldn't. And I said, "Can we do it on anything we want?" And he said, "Yes." And I did it on Lou Gehrig, and that was the only way that I could talk because I was talking baseball and so I I, had, I got a, a, an A on that report which might have been the only A I ever saw in the entire <laughs> history of my schooling but no um, yeah it, it, so Lou Gehrig is definitely one of my favorite Yankees of all time uh, Sparky Lyle because Sparky Lyle was okay, I have Sparky Lyle stories too but that's a story for another day <laughs> so I wanted to bring up baseball in particular because it's sort of this weird hypocrisy within myself right so we've you've been embarking on some more adventures with your daughter recently right to go visit the ballparks we went to detroit in in may yeah and so heather and i have been to all but two of Mm -hmm. the the ballparks we're down to houston and san francisco and it's funny because i hate baseball i you but you went to oakland but i've been to how do you go to oakland and not san francisco on the same trip so they weren't home (laughs) okay so you weren't there long enough okay it was the honeymoon and it was so we flew from newark to Mm -hmm. sfo right i think it was the same night actually like we landed you know noon or whatever it was and it was like a seven o'clock first pitch or whatever yeah i had to kill you because we've been on west east coast time yeah so we went to the a's game the next day or the day after we flew out to honolulu and Mm -hmm. back so that's and i wanted to save the Giants as the last one specifically okay. for two reasons. One, mm-hmm. though I'm not a baseball 
appreciator or fan in any sense. <laughs> I grew up in, and I didn't even grow up in a sports house, but the only sport that ever came up was baseball and, and it was the Mets. Oh, you grew up in Brooklyn, right? Right. So, and so my, and there's a strong I'm family. I'm surprised there's not a Dodger thing in your well, blood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so that's what I wanted to, to sort of get at eventually mm-hmm. was baseball in, in your blood. My grandmother was a huge Dodgers fan until they left. Mm -hmm. And so that was the problem. And so that's long story short, that's how we wound up as Mets fans, most of us, Mm -hmm. because it was rooting for the NL over the AL. And so the Giants obviously left too. And I I think I told you this, you know, that I was surprised to learn that the Mets colors came from the Giants and and the Dodgers. And coincidentally, each year we had a child born the Giants won the World Series and we watched it. So in 2010, 2012, and 2014. And so I said, you know what, let's let's keep, uh, and, and the ballpark looks really cool mm-hmm. uh, with the cove and all that yep, stuff. Yep. So we were like, you know what, let's let's hold off and make that the last one. Because we sure, I mean, listen, sure. I, we, I've driven, <laughs> that's an episode that I'm going to do in terms of the, the cities I've driven to that include, <laughs> you know, Seattle <laughs> and uh, Los Angeles. Right. I'm not driving back to San Francisco anytime uh, soon. I can't, yeah, that's a gotta be. I can't even, well, no, I did go coast to coast, but that, yeah. Yeah. No, but we did it, uh, uh, you know, on the fly, my son and I, we, yeah, we were just crazy. Right. And for us, the intention was pre-COVID, we were targeting 2022 as an anniversary trip. Heather and I got married uh-huh. July 7th, mm-hmm. 2007. And so that would have been, you know, a big anniversary sure. for us. Right. And so we were thinking the kids will be old enough. Well, let's go back to Hawaii because we went to Hawaii on the money, the, the money moon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the slip of the tongue, the, the honeymoon. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to tell you a joke off, uh, off air. That's gonna make somebody really unhappy, but I, I, it's, it's too funny. I mean, I, okay. I'll, I'll come back to this in a second. So we were. <laughs> I think I told you this once that. I just have a thing where I don't make up these jokes. They just sort of they just come yeah, out of the no, ether. No, no, absolutely. And we were talking about... You know, so I started doing this. And I was like... I was like... There is you know no what? wrong I answer said, here. Yes, I do. And I said... <laughs> did not go over well, oh, but I no. thought it was great. You did Well, oh, I did. <laughs> Then yesterday, that joke comes oh, up in the car. Ouch. The, the kids are laughing hysterically. I don't think they get it, but they're laughing because I'm laughing. Why are you still married to oh, this man, wait, Heather? Wait, wait, This is even better. So we start talking about Hawaii and, and all this stuff. And she goes, oh, that's right. It was the honeymoon. And I was like, uh, yeah. That went over like a Led Zeppelin. Let me tell you, a lead balloon. Too oh old, my sure. goodness! But I'm, I'm, I was, I almost had to pull over because I was on um, Navasink River Road or whatever over there. You know where it gets ziggy zaggy. I might have to go home and change my pants. <laughs> so yeah. So suffice to say oh, that oh have mercy. <laughs> the, the, the edit for this is going to be great because that joke is not making it to the no. air, but the oh, laughter is going to the <laughs> laughter is going to stick. Um, well, anyway, getting back to baseball. Uh, my mom grew up in Kearney, and it was a long time ago. And there was a team that played there called the well, they didn't play in Kearney. They played in Newark called the Newark Bears. That was a farm team for the New York Yankees. Hence the reason that I root for the Yankees. Because I didn't grow up with a team that was winning the World Series all the time. I grew up with the late 60s and early 70s Yankees that were the worst team in baseball for a few years. So I'm not a bandwagon jumper. And yeah, I, I just came to my Yankee rooting, you know, 
it was inherited. So my problem is that I grew up in, I, I mean, I yeah. was, when I say growing up, I always sort of think of high school as the coming of age, growing yeah, up kind sure. of time thing. And so for me, that was 97 to 2001. Mm -hmm. I think you can remember what happened between 96 oh, was, and 2000. Yes. Oh, I certainly can. And <clears throat> actually, right, my kids got to go to the 98 World Series. So right. I took them there. That was, yeah, the Yankees dominated baseball. And, and that was a beautiful time. Oh, and it was <laughs> everywhere. Everybody and their mother was suddenly a Yankees fan yeah, but, in Brooklyn. But can you imagine growing up in Brooklyn or anywhere in New York City in the 1950s? And, or even the 40s, when you had the Giants and the Dodgers and the Yankees all within this, oh my goodness. you know, like 15-mile radius that, well, probably 10-mile radius for that matter. Uh, wow, talk about great. I mean, oh my goodness, that was, yeah, that had to be heaven. <laughs> I mean, well, three, two, and they were all good, you know, most of the time then. So, see, yeah. see, I think... And th this is what I wanted ultimately to ask you, is what do you think it is about baseball that contributes to its enduring legacy, number one, and number two, that enables people even nowadays still to be so involved with it and interested in I, it? Yeah, I, I think it is the ultimate American sport. I mean, it's something that we've all just grown up with. It's something that everyone can play. I mean, we can't play at their level because... There are, I think it's 750 major league baseball players that, you know, at the right now. And we have a population of 300 million just in this country. And there are obviously players from other countries in the major leagues as well. You have to be uber talented. And even that might not be enough because each of these guys, everyone is an all-star. Everyone was the best player on their team growing up. And you, you, have, you still have to love the game, I think, to excel because it's a very frustrating game. I mean, you fail seven out of ten times and you're still a Hall of Famer. Right. It's, oh, man. You know, think about that. It's, it's, it boggles the mind. Baseball, is just, it's just a beautiful game. I mean, yeah, it's slow, it's slow. And I understand that people want more action these days. And there's not a lot you can really do about it how baseball is played. I know they, they introduced the pitch clock, which hmm, I think the jury is out. I, I, I'm noticing a trend towards a lot of pitchers coming up with injuries. I think it has something to do with the fact that they aren't given enough time to collect themselves in between pitches. Agreed. It's adding too much stress. I mean, if you ever like see a slow motion shot of the guy's arm when he's pitching that ball, that, that's an unnatural Oh, for position sure. for the body to be in so it's that's got to be hard and uh, but again baseball is something that we can all play and i think that's why we relate to it and, and that's why it still maintains its you know hold on on, on the american public May, again it's been passed by football but that's still well all right so th there's a couple of things there so for me Baseball second on on the the list of detestations, right? My, or, or, or or it's more Knicks fans. Clearly, I mean, it's really like a top ten list, and Knicks fans take the the one through nine spots. So baseball is really just ten out of, out of the ten. Uh, I'm just not gonna go there, Knicks fans. Oh, I, I, I uh, but yeah, I can see how yeah, Knicks fans. But Definitely opinionated. It, it's not even just opinionated, right? <laughs> because and, and the reason I'm even going to go there is, and I can't wait. I have. A, I'm I, sorry. I'm Walt Frazier was the best point guard that ever played, and so. the worst announcer 
yeah. of all time. The most, Roger's, the biggest, Roger's biggest uh, disciple. The, the biggest butcher of the human language. Oh my god! But I, I'm stoked. I have. I bought something. I bought something special to celebrate for this year because this is a special year for the Knicks. I don't know if you were aware of that. 50th anniversary it's, of the last time they won the championship. It's 50 <laughs> years of ineptitude and failure. Yeah, I cannot yes. wait. I, I needed something worthy of that. And the best mm-hmm. part is if you go back 50 years from the last time that they did win, right. it's 1923. Yeah. So we're, we're just outside wow. of World War One. Yeah. That's all. I, again. Story I, I, for another. I have to keep. And, and they will never win until James Dolan sells the team. I just, you know what, you could have just stopped that they will never win and I would have been a happy camper, but I, I agree. But with baseball, so my problem with, and, and listen, there are a short list of Knicks fans that I actually respect mm-hmm. for their fandom, and I, I genuinely do feel bad for them. My buddy Ryan, Sarah's coach, Sarah, there are some diehard Knicks fans that, just like you sure. being a Yankee fan, mm-hmm. right, you're realistic you you know understand like listen your team at least where the yankees so this is the problem that i had growing up in new york when i did because the knicks had a moderate level of success in the playoffs Mm -hmm. through the 90s they were viewed in and around town if you want to call it that as being like on par with the yankees the the yankees have won 27 world series and have i mean you know pennants out the wazoo Mm -hmm. the knicks have two titles yeah two and you know were, who else has two and titles? They were four years apart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, who else in the baseball world locally, Mike, has, has two, two titles. titles? Let me mm. see. I think there's a team that plays in Flushing, which yeah. is what they really need to do with the entire organization, anyhow. You, well, they're on their way down the drain now, <laughs> yeah. right? But that's so that's what bothered me. And I did a whole yeah. blog entry about this once where I compared statistically the Knicks, the Mets, and the Rangers to look at their, you know, I am a Ranger fan, but I, it's so hard to be a Ranger fan. And listen, the the Knicks (laughs) definitely have a lot of playoff appearances, but when Mm -hmm. you look at lifetime records, like when just win loss record, you look at number of championships, number of Mm -hmm. times it reaching the championship round. Now that when I did this, the Mets, I guess they were, I don't know, whatever it was. The the point was that Knicks fans, delusional Knicks fans, think of the Knicks as being like the Yankees, whereas in reality, they're really more like the Mets. They think they're on a par with the Lakers or the Celtics. They are not, without a doubt. I mean, that's the best rivalry in sports, I think, the Lakers and the Celtics, because they played against each other so many times for the championship. And I remember so many of the biggest jerks I've ever met, especially in (laughs) high school and college, Mm -hmm. uh, were baseball guys. There was just like this, and and you know what it is? This is probably, this is uh, like a Dr. Phil kind of moment here, right? (laughs) So I've never been a group guy. I've never had a group group of friends. I've never been, you Mm -hmm. know, a team sort of person where, you know, or or a fraternity guy or whatever. I'm very much individualistic. And baseball is very much a team sport. You're in it. You're part of the group, you know, and and Mm -hmm. so there's a certain swagger that comes with that, a certain mentality. And it's not like it doesn't exist for the basketball team or the football team or whatever, but there was just something about the arrogance of the baseball guys that really stood out to me in high school. And that really was the the jumping off point for me, I think, with it. Um, and you mentioned the pitch count and all that, that stuff with, uh, with the sport. 
for me, it's funny. Most people who love baseball shit all over golf as being this like boring thing. <laughs> and to me, those two sports are more closely linked than nearly any other because of the different, to, to be fair, the difficulty of it. There's <laughs> hitting a fastball or a curveball right. or whatever. What they say is the, the most single difficult act in all of sports is hitting a round ball with a round bat when it's coming at you at. 90 plus miles an hour. Right. And we've, we've discussed uh, yeah. Robin Williams and yeah. his whole thing on golf. On right? golf yeah. So. It just ruins a good walk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or what's the point? Because like you said, yeah, yeah. You step up to this little ball, you hit it as far as you can. And then as soon as you find it, you hit it away again. Right. You know? If you're lucky. <laughs> Cause if you're, what's uh, the point of that? Yeah. Like I said, it's just, but, ruins a nice walk in the park to me. But I thought it was yeah. funny that you mentioned the, um, I know you're just a good girl. I know. I know. Co-host uh, Vendetta here. <laughs> She's deciding to uh, take over the show. Oops. So, it'd be nice if I put the on correctly. I only had one ear. <laughs> All right. So just to put an end cap on the uh, the baseball thing, um, you can hear the tail going. Oh man. So <laughs> I, I just thought it was funny how you know they had to adjust for how boring the sport is, and or at least how slow it is. <laughs> No, you don't want to chew the wire. You really don't. It's not good. Yeah. Her, okay. ta- her tail is just... She, she's going to knock herself she, out. She's, no, she is hard-headed. She fits right in in this family, that's for sure, with the, the thick-headedness. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But uh, I just laughed at how, you know, they had to institute these rules to try mm-hmm. to make the game a little faster. And I get it. Right. Listen, a lot of it is attention span and, and whatnot. Sure. Um, and, and it was getting ridiculous. The average game was over three hours. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And that's just too long. But so I, I did laugh because the same thing happened with golf where they had to have a pace of play, right. you know, rules put in. So. But this is to me, like, as a baseball fan, what really annoys me is, oh, the game's too slow. The game's too slow. We got to do these things to make it faster. They still take that two and a half minutes in between innings to go hawk stuff. Right. I I was just going to say, yeah, exactly. Why does it have to be two and a half minutes? Cut that down to a minute. They don't need two and a half minutes to warm up in between innings. You really want to cut the games down? There. Stop breaking up the action for, you know, five minutes for every inning. If there was one thing I would complain about where baseball is concerned, Mm. it's the self-seriousness and self-righteousness of protecting the game. You know, the, um, the unwritten rules and, (laughs) and they do have that. It's very, yeah, it is like that. Uh, I, I just, as someone who played the game a lot when he was younger, again, I know that I'm nowhere near as talented as these people, but it bothers me that, Okay, they outlawed shifts in baseball. Uh, well, if you want to play everybody over here, I'm going to hit the ball over there. But these guys won't do that. And, and it's like, well, why? Well, because, I, I, you know, I have a better chance to hit a home run if I do this. Like, well, but you can hit 300 <laughs> if you hit it over there. But and ch- then they'll go over there, and then you can hit it there. Oh, it's just... Chicks dig the long ball. That, this is true. I, I, yeah, but... I, I, again, you know, I was never going to be a home run hitter, so I didn't have to, I, I couldn't worry about that. I just wanted to get on base and steal bases, and that's, you know, different game. 
Well, every one of these conversations is a home run for me. So I appreciate you coming back. I, I think uh, I feel like this was more streamlined. I think we got back to a little the, better uh, the topics for it. Uh, yeah, we we didn't dovetail quite as much, or as we used to say in uh, in the Bible studies I attended, we would go off on bunny trails and yeah but um yeah no we we stayed a little bit more on topic today yeah and i think i I was glad we got to give you know john miles uh some love amen that's again yeah john miles god rest your soul um yeah and we hit on a lot of other artists um you know the doobie brothers chicago and, and you know we touched on fogarty again but yeah it's there are we will never cover everything no, but that's, that's just not possible. But that's also but, part of the fun of it. And, and absolutely. I, I would love to focus solely on what I'm going to call Americana acts. Okay. You know, I think that'd be a fun yeah. discussion to. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> here I have another artist we had never talked about. And I don't know if I ever turned you on to him. His name is Kevin Moore, but he goes by Kebmo. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Okay. Keb, Kebmo is all Americana. He just plays a. a you know, blues, uh, rock, and I've seen him play where it was just him and another guitarist, and I've seen him with a band, like a five-piece. I have a couple of discs I can let you have anytime. Uh, just let me know what you think of him. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm, I'm excited. I, also, I would like that cool. very much. I'd oh, like to check it out. Without a doubt, I'll drop him off either later or tomorrow, whenever. Yeah, I know, she's, <laughs> she must be teething. <laughs> she is chewing on me like I'm a rag doll right now. <laughs> But um, Mike, thanks so much for coming through oh, and recording another pleasure. episode. Absolutely. I hope it was fun. I it, always have a great time. It is always a blast when we sit and talk. And Absolutely. Thank you to everybody <laughs> listening wherever and whenever you are. <laughs>